Hey, we're in Exodus chapter 12, so grab your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 12. As you're turning there, we've been talking about um, uh, Exodus, of course, for the last several weeks, and we've looked at holiness. Somebody told me this last week. You're talking a lot about holiness. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking a lot about holiness because I think the Bible speaks a lot about holiness. Uh, in other words, I understand most of us, perhaps, would claim to be a follower of Jesus. We would claim to be a, a, a Jesus follower. We would claim to be a Christian. We would claim to be saved. But what does that mean, to be saved? You know, in the 70s and 80s, during the time of revivals, and the times where you would have, you, you remember what revivals are, right? Some of you who have been around the church for a while remember revivals where we would have, uh, I remember Sunday night, all the way, or Sunday morning, Sunday night, all the way through Friday night, right? That was a revival. Then it became Sunday through Wednesday, and it got much shorter. And then eventually, revivals kind of went away. We just pray about revivals, we sing about revivals, and we hope for revivals, but revival, or at least the idea of revivals, have since gone by the wayside. I know there are small pockets that celebrate what they call revivals, but you get the idea, right? We've moved past those times. And so I think one of the things that revival, that time of revivals have, has done for us or had done for us was that we believe that if we got somebody down the aisle, if we said a couple of words, if they said a prayer, if they repeated after the minister and they got in the baptistry, eventually they were saved, right? They were saved. But we never moved past that. You follow what I'm saying? We got them out of hell. But we never taught any kind of responsibility. We never taught any kind of accountability. There, there's an old hymn that says, trust and obey. Or there's no other way. You guys know the hymn, right? We've got that trust part down for the most part. We know what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ, right? We, we're saved by faith through grace. We've talked about those things. But what about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says you've been saved for good works, right? That's the responsibility. That's where we were kind of lacking. I want to talk to you about responsibility this morning. Because I assume that most of us, if not all of us, have been saved. I'm going to assume this morning that most of us, if not all of us, would call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. But what exactly does that mean? Let's pray. Father, for your word, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, I pray that you know what a blessing I It's a great blessing, God, to open your word and to share what you've taught me. And I pray that you would allow us to see. I pray that you allow us to hear. I pray that we are not the same when we leave this place as we are when we go. I pray that you would do a work in our lives. Christ. Hey, I was reading in Acts chapter 2 this past week, as a good independent Christian church person would, right? I was reading in Acts chapter 2 uh, this past week, and I ran across this phrase that I've read many times, but it struck me this time as being... It was one of those phrases that you had to take a, a second look at, or maybe a third. 
And I don't know about you, but I have the luxury of having commentaries and other Bible studies tools and things like that. So I, I had stuff laid out just because of this phrase. And the phrase was in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Listen to what the verse says. With many other words, this, is, of course, is the sermon that Peter is giving on the day of Pentecost, right? Right? I want to make sure you're still awake, right? So it says, in many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, and listen to what he says. Here's the invitation. Right? He's just given a great message. They were cut to the heart. You'll know that, right? They were cut to the heart. Brothers, what must we do to be saved? And it says in verse 40, here's Peter's invitation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I'm like, what does that mean? Save yourselves from this. I mean, Peter's not, he's not politically correct, is he? He's, he's going to say what he believes the Spirit caused him to say. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. What does that mean? That means you have a responsibility, church. It's not just to walk down the aisle. It's not just to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I realize Jesus does something for us personally. But salvation is so much more than escaping the fire of hell. You're not only saved from something, hell, you're saved to something, that's the good works. That's the discipleship. That's the responsibility as being not only a consumer of Jesus Christ, or Eidelman would say it this way, don't just be a fan of Jesus Christ, be a follower of Jesus Christ. You follow what I'm saying? Don't just be a consumer of Jesus. Don't be a consumer of Jesus. Don't, don't accept the gift without accepting the responsibility. I hope that makes sense for you. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter says this, For this very reason, and he's talked about relationship with Jesus, he's talked about relationship with God, it says, For this very reason, make every effort, that's the work, Make every effort to supplement your faith. What? Trust and obey. Supplement your trust, supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. You get the idea? Some of you have already had the, the flags go off in your mind. Well, it sounds a whole lot like he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Well, he is. Knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice, they're increasing, you're maturing in the faith. Believer, follower of Jesus, if these things are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. It sounds to me that Peter expected followers of Jesus Christ to live in such a way that the world would be in awe. It sounds to me that Peter expected, or more importantly, God expects us to live in such a way that the world has to take a second notice. When Peter, when Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation, that's not just a phrase or a statement that, that is for shock value. That's not the Howard Stern of the first 
A.D. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he, he says it because he really believes it. By the way, I think that save yourself from this crooked generation, I think this invitation, I think that message would still preach today. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. What do you mean, Peter? What do you mean? How do, how do you do that? Well, what does all this have to do with, with, with Exodus chapter 12? We've been talking about holiness. We've been talking about setting yourself apart from the rest of the world. You know the text, especially if you've been reading with us. It's probably going to come to your minds right away. Listen to what it says. This is the English Standard Version. The Lord said to Moses, and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, each according to his father's houses, a lamb for a household. Now you know this text is a Passover already, right? If you haven't read, there's nine plagues. God, God tells Moses, of course, to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh it's been 400 years. My people have been in bondage. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let my people go. That's the gist of the message. And if you haven't read it, Pharaoh relents from time to time. And as soon as he lets Moses think that he's going to cave in, uh, he pulls it back. And he says, no, maybe not. Right? And there's plague after plague from gnats and frogs and blood in the Nile to, I mean, read it. It's great, it's great literature, right? It's great history. It's, it's also a great reminder of what wickedness looks like when you think about Pharaoh. He's very deceptive. This begins the 10th plague. Exodus chapter 12 is more than just the Passover. It's the 10th plague. The latter part of the chapter if you haven't read it, I want, you to, I want to encourage you this afternoon sometime to read the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 12. This is the beginning of that tenth plague that will, that will eventually cause Pharaoh to let God's people go from bondage. The text continues in verse 4. It says, if the household is too small for this lamb, then he and the nearest neighbor shall take according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You may take from it the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Can you imagine? They shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Why would God tell Moses? If you don't remember the Israelite people, the Hebrews uh, had a hard time believing Moses because of Moses' past. And uh, there were times that they said, well, who are you to tell us what to do? And finally, they believed that Moses has some kind of end with God and Moses says things like this that they had to believe. This is much more than, this is, this is something that at least it seems kind of strange to us. What a mess at twilight, right? 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take from it the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. From the 10th to the 14th, you have some kind of relationship with this lamb that's going to be sacrificed when the whole assembly of the congregations of Israel shall kill their lambs. And not only kill them, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the little of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its head and its legs and its inner parts. This is very precise. This is not directions from Ikea, right? These are very detailed instructions. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fasted or fastened your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. You haven't realized that these ten plagues, the gnats, the frogs, the flies, blood of the Nile, each plague is an attack, if you will, on the gods, the little g of Egypt, the Egyptian gods. So it says, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. And here's the great news. I am the Lord. I am, I am Yahweh. That church uh, is a very powerful text. This text in Exodus chapter 12 about the Passover causes me to reflect on who am I? What is my identity? And as a preacher, as a minister, as a pastor, I want to ask you this morning to reflect on who you are. What's the significance of a text years ago from Exodus chapter 12? What is its significance for us in 2018? It still applies to us even in 2018. The very detailed instructions. These are, these are not vague by any means. Details, details, details. A lot like the Second Peter text. A lot like what Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Or a lot like what Peter says in Galatians chapter 5 when he gives the list of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Details, details, details equal responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. You know, we live in a world called the postmodern society, right? Where truth is vague, where truth is whatever, it's relative. It's whatever, whatever's good for you may be good for you, but it may not be good for me. Or whatever's good for me today may not good, be good for me tomorrow. Well, that's all a lie from Satan. The truth is found right here. In God's Word, responsibility, what we should do, how we should live, is found right here in God's Word. Even to the point of what happens that you're thinking, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. This has nothing to do with me. That's the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is not passed away. You understand what I'm saying? When I say pass away, when, when, when the New Testament, when the New Covenant comes, it's, it's, it's God revealing in greater ways what is intended all along. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. This, this text in Exodus chapter 12, you, you have the next slide, Brandon. 
I think this is important when we think about Exodus chapter 12. Uh, look at Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. Write it down if you're taking notes. Because I think this is important, important, important. We'll get there in a few weeks. But listen to what it says, specifically in what we've just read in Exodus chapter 12. Now, if you will listen, what's that mean? That's a conditional promise, right? I'm going to do something, but only if you will listen. What does it mean to listen? We've talked a lot about that, Hillcrest. It's not about hearing with these ears. These are physical ears. A lot of people hear with physical ears. A lot of people see with physical eyes, but the spiritual things are missing. You understand what I'm saying? So in Exodus chapter 19, it says, If you will listen to me with spiritual ears, if you will listen to me with, or hear, with, hear me, or listen, or see me with spiritual eyes, and carefully keep my covenant. Now here's the promise. You will be my own possession out of all these peoples. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've had your own exodus, right? You've been in your own bondage, right? That bondage is not Egypt. What is it? It's sin, right? The same promise is for us, church. If you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant. What's that mean? That means responsibility. That means expectation. You will carefully keep my covenant. Then you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Later on, Peter will say, you are a royal priesthood. Believer. Not consumer. You hear the difference? Not just somebody who receives the gift of Christ, but you also receive the responsibility of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. If that doesn't make you worship, I don't know what will. He says, my kingdom, you will be my kingdom and you will be priests. What's a priest? A go-between between the people and God. That's your job. That's my job. That's our job as the church. Not a paid professional or whatever. A holy nation. These are the words that you are to say Moses, here's what they need to hear. This is their responsibility. We've talked this past year about what it means to love God, love people, love by going. Love God. How do we love God? We love people. Well, how do we love people? We can't stay in these walls and say we love people. We've got to love by going. Get the idea? It's one on top of the other. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command, Jesus? Remember what he says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The second is like it. Nobody asked you about the second, Jesus, but he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The epistles of John will say, you can't say you love your brother if you don't love God. You can't say you love your God if you don't love your brother. You get the idea? It's one and the same. It's one and the same. This text here in Exodus chapter 12 is pretty significant. Here's the reason. Because I, I, want you to hang, I want you to hang out here for a second. Listen to what it says. Death came to every home that night in Egypt. Would you agree? Death came to every home in Egypt. Either the death of the firstborn, read the end of chapter 12, or, death of the Lamb. You hear that? 
death, death came. Every household, Egyptian or Israelite, everybody encountered death. Either by death of the firstborn, tenth plague, or death of the blood of the lamb. You put blood on your doorpost, you put blood on the lintel, and the Lord will pass through. What's that have to do with us as New Testament Christians? This is, this is Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. This is the John 129 text, where it says, Behold, the lamb of the world who takes away the sin. The lamb of God. The lamb of God. The lamb of God. You hear what's going on? This is not something to be dismissed as quote-unquote New Testament Christians. This is for us as well. Back to that slide for just a second, friend. Death came. I don't know if that makes any difference to you, but this, this if you'll allow me, I, I, this, this is powerful for me. Death came. You know what sin does to us, right? You, you know what rebellion does to us? You know what, when we stand before that tree and we're reminded that God says don't eat from the tree and we choose to eat from the tree anyway, you know what happens? Our relationship is divided with God, would you agree? You've all experienced that, right? Death came to every home in Egypt. Now, what are we going to do about it? It's either the death of the firstborn, right? There's consequences for your sin. Or, there's this Lamb of God over here. Who shed His blood. Who takes away, not only my sin, not only your sin, but the sin of the entire world. If that doesn't cause you to worship, what will? Hold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Read on, chapter 12, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you, it says, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. What does that mean? That means even in 2018. That means as we celebrate... What Jesus Christ has done for us, not a physical lamb, not a goat, but what Jesus Christ has done for us, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We do that every Sunday, every time we gather, right? This should be a lasting celebration, a lasting memorial. This do in remembrance of me. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Wow. That's pretty significant, right? If you don't do what I say here, you'll be cut off from the land of Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. The seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day, here's the importance, for on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Remember, 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 a couple of weeks ago, 
I made mention of how quick I am to forget. You know why we don't worship? Because we forget, right? How, how much do you take for granted? Just think about it for a second. How much do you take for granted? You live in this community. You live in this world, right? You live in this place. You take a lot for granted. I know that. You know that, right? If you're honest with yourself, you know that. We all take things for granted. And we're quick to forget how good God is. We're quick to forget how good God is. That's why we have to be reminded of how good God is. This do in remembrance of me. This, as, as you worship, as you consider, this is, this is salvation all the way down to the littlest things in your life. The big things to the little things, all the good things come from God. Is anybody there? The idea of unleavened bread is to eat it in haste. Be ready to go. Be ready to go. Be ready to go. You've been in bondage 400 years. Now, for you, you're, you've been in your sin how long? It may seem like 400 years, right? You've been in some kind of bondage for a long time. And God wants to call you out of bondage. God has sent messenger after messenger after messenger. And he's invited you to relationship but that relationship is not to be just a consumer of his salvation, of a free gift. It's also, the see, the gospel is not just receiving the gift. The gospel is acting upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. The gospel is about being salt, preserving that which is good. The gospel is about being light, shining light into a dark world. And yet, all too often, church, I'm pretty passionate about this. All too often, we just receive and we receive and we receive and we receive. And it's just like going over here to the service road and signing up for membership at Costco just because I received something. Or Sam's or whatever. Get the idea. But I never put anything back. I, I receive salvation because I, want, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ because it's inconvenient. You hear what I'm saying? can't have one without the other. The text that scares me the most, or maybe scared is not a right, right way to put it, the thing that concerns me the most is the Matthew 24 text where it says, one day he will separate the sheep from the goats. Didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we, didn't we preach every Sunday? Didn't we drop a few Checks in the offering plate. Didn't we? Didn't we pray every once in a while for our meals? Didn't we? Didn't we? Didn't we? And he will say, "Get away from me! I never knew you." If that doesn't concern you, see every every week, church, we are afforded the opportunity during this thing called communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, communion, to remember what God has done. That God loves you so much that he's not willing to allow you to remain in bondage. He wants you out of bondage. He wants to lead you to the promised land. 
just like the Israelites, he wants you out of bondage. He wants to lead you to a place of peace. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the opportunity to come and worship should be not second nature. It should be the, the very thing that makes us live. It, it causes us to exist. Can I encourage you this morning to remember what God has done? Remember to leave the bondage behind. I'm kind of like Paul where Paul talks about the bondage and he says in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, those things I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Then he goes on to say, but praise God, there is no condemnation for those who have received the blood of the Lamb of God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. I want to encourage you to remember to leave your bondage behind. And remember to become like Christ. God had every intention of sending Jesus to become the Lamb, even when Moses writes Exodus chapter 12. Even when Moses shares the message with the Israelites of sacrificing this Lamb. The one true Lamb was coming into the world set things right. When Mickey's reading from John chapter 15 just a few minutes ago, I had to turn around and show, okay, my message is better. Because I want to read John 15, 1 through 5 again. God thing. I'm the true vine, Jesus says. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit Consumer? No, responsibility. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain or abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Church, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do very little, nothing. You guys know the text. You guys know the text. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ 